Welcome to IDP Real Talk, where we discuss real stories, real experiences, and what it's really like to be living in Australia. I'm Prachi, your podcast host and a past international student, and I'm here to help you thrive in Australia. In this episode, we talk about how to land a job in Australia, the best way to use LinkedIn as a job search tool, and crafting an impressive CV and cover letter. I am so excited to have you on this podcast. It's not even funny. Like, I've been following your work on LinkedIn, and you are so helpful to international students. So before we jump into the main things that I want to talk about today, helping international students land a job in Australia, I would love to hear about yourself, your work in this space. Floor is yours. Yeah, that's very kind. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. It's really nice to be here. Really nice to hang out in person and be in beautiful Melbourne and all that kind of great stuff. So my name is Joshua. I run a company called Campus Consultancy, and we work with a mix of employers and governments and universities, basically to help young people and young professionals thrive in their lives and careers. So whether that's goal setting for their finances, whether that's building really healthy relationships, whether that's stepping into their first job or starting their first business, basically what we want to do is demystify, think about the self-help section of a bookstore, the business section, the psychology section. Like what if you could compress all that stuff down into actionable items that you could do on a daily basis? So if you're a student or you're a young person who wants something or wants something to be better, what we hope to do is be able to show you that you don't need a guru to do it. Um, You don't need a $10,000 mastermind every month to do it. You have the resources to do it with just a couple of strategies and a a little bit of accountability and know-how. Absolutely. Um, absolutely agree with you there. So how, how many years have you been in this space? Well, with Campus Consultancy, we've been doing it for about seven years now and worked with just over 52,000 students and young people, which has been great. Wow. Yeah. So we've run workshops where about 1,250, I think we're up to now, workshops. Um, so we run a couple of hundred every year and... Yeah, it's everyone's different. Everyone's a bit of an adventure. Sometimes people are like, Josh, when you get sick of like goal setting or time management or communication. And for me, it's always, I learn something every time I teach it. I learn new distinctions and new ways of thinking about it. But I think more importantly, it's the new faces in the room. There are people sometimes who've, who've never been introduced to these concepts. And I always think about those moments in my life where I had a, a teacher, a mentor, or a coach share something with me. And you know, when you hear something for the first time, you're like, no one's ever said that to me before. <laughs> I'm like, I always know that in a workshop or an event, there might be that moment for students. So that keeps everything new and fresh. That is so amazing. I I love how passionate you are about this. And that really speaks through your work. Um, As I said, I follow you on LinkedIn. So everybody who wants to know more (laughs) about your work should head over there and follow your amazing content. Um, Just diving right in. um, I know the number one question that gets asked um, when an international student comes to Australia day one, they, they start uni and already they're thinking about landing a job. Yep. So right off the bat, what are the key steps do you think students can take when searching for jobs in Australia? Great. And so I think what's really important with how you frame the question is looking for a job in Australia. So the advice I'll give is up to date in Australia. It doesn't mean it's right for every industry all over the world. And it's not the same information or advice that was true for our parents' generation or grandparents' generation, and I believe that's one of the big disconnects. Because sometimes an international student will come to Australia and they go, wait, what I'm hearing in the career space is different from what my uni's telling me, which is different from what my parents have told me, which is different from what my friends back home are doing. And that's true because it's unique and different. If you go on a holiday to a different country, 
in the Northern or Southern Hemisphere, it's winter when it's summer. And our career environment in Australia might be quote unquote winter where another country might be summer. And what you wear in winter will kill you in summer. Exactly. And what you wear in summer will knock you out in winter. So the right advice in the wrong situation is the wrong advice. And so without speaking in riddles, what does that mean for a student? So let's lay it out. In Australia, the top skills that employers want are all about people, communication, teamwork, interpersonal skills. They want to know you can solve problems, but most importantly, they want to know you can work with other people. So this morning before we had this, this podcast, I was at my favorite cafe in Melbourne, and there was a student who was serving me, great guy named Nathan, a second-year commerce student at the University of Melbourne, and he's working at the cafe as a barista, and on the side, he does some tutoring. And me being me, we connect on LinkedIn, we have a chat. I'm writing him a LinkedIn recommendation while I'm sipping my coffee because he's just a great, great young guy. And I said to him, my theory, which I think is most controversial, is that you working at this cafe is as valuable as your commerce degree at the University of Melbourne. And he said, but Josh, I get, I get paid to learn here and I have to pay to go to University of Melbourne. I'm like, some things in life are free, some things in life you've got to pay for, right? <laughs> I pay for the coffee, I'm happy about that. It's a great service, just like a great degree in Australia. But what employers really want is candidly, and I know this is an advice that students want to hear, a qualification is a, you're a dime a dozen. Lots of people are qualified. It's the minimum. Mm -hmm. But just like in dating or a relationship, if you're interested in a boy, you don't walk down the street and go, you look like a boy, you'll do, let's spend our life together. Like being a boy is the minimum, Exactly. you know? So getting a qualification in Australia is the minimum. So how do you stand out? Exactly. And so my big advice, how do you get a job in Australia? How do you stand out? Do some volunteering, get some casual work, start a project, start your own podcast, start a YouTube or a TikTok, anything where one, you get teamwork skills, you work with other humans, and two, where you're communicating. And if you can look at your week or your month and say, what did I do this week to develop my communication skills, to get out of my comfort zone, or to work with other human beings, if you can do that on a weekly basis, force yourself, go to networking events, meet people, that's the way to stand out. And that's what employers want to see. That is so true. Like the way that you frame that, people, skills are so important for students um, to even consider having a career in, in Australia, I feel like students might not pay attention to that as much as they should. I feel like that's definitely there. Yeah. And I think one of the insights of that is like, well, why wouldn't they pay attention to that? Because it's not the narrative they've been told. It's not the narrative of the parents. Like we were working with this student last week and he said, he said, Josh, when I grew up, he was a student from India. He said, where I grew up, there are four potential career paths, lawyer, doctor, engineer, or banker. You know, he's yeah. like, I had to do one of those four things. And I did that too. And that's why I can really relate. I studied engineering at university, not because I was passionate about engineering, right? not at all. Nothing wrong with engineering. Engineering's great. I'm going to get on a plane today. We're in a building today. Love engineers. But for me, I was good at maths and science at school. And the career advice I got was go be an engineer. Engineers learn lots of money. You'll be happy if you earn lots of money. Now, I look at that now and I go, wow, that's not some great, not the best advice maybe, but it was on me. I didn't seek advice from lots of people. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. So what I want to do is save students time and say, instead of just doing this thing because it looks good on the outside, mm -hmm. I think what our parents truly want is they want that great career for us because that gives us stability and opportunity. And stability and opportunity, well, what does that give us? Well, that brings us happiness and joy. So if you play the math out, what our parents really want, I believe deep down, is for us to be happy and fulfilled. And the pathway to get there was lawyer, doctor, engineer, banker. Exactly. It was do the traditional pathway. Mm -hmm. Whereas now that's not necessarily true. Yeah. And we know that there are so many different pathways out there. So if students are looking to get into that space, 
it's not just get good grades, get a job, because the biggest employers in Australia are not just looking for grades. A degree's great, but it's not your grades that are going to get you a job in Australia. That is so, so true. And such an important point for students to know. Mm. Um, Can you share some tips on like when they are applying for these jobs? What does that application look like? How do they stand out there? Yeah, awesome. So there's... I'll take a route that I haven't talked about as much before, and hopefully this is helpful. Let's talk about the AI and ChatGPT stuff. So Microsoft did a report earlier this year. They looked at 30,000 different employers around the world, and they found about 80% of employers, the language is important, expect university graduates to be AI competent. Mm -hmm. So four out of five jobs expect you to know how to use AI. So I was like, but I don't have a course in AI, but it's just come out this year. It's like too bad that's what employers want, right? Now, what's great about that is, imagine you're hearing this right now and you go, okay, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to log on and create a chat GPT account tonight. Fantastic. Then it's like, well, how do I stand out with a job application? Um, we've built out like an AI resume toolkit thing, which we share on LinkedIn. So if you connect with me on LinkedIn, it's up there, it's free, you can download it, it's there. But here's what I do. When you apply for any job, what you're trying to get your brain to do is say, I have me and everything I've done in my life. That's unchangeable. You are you. You know, if you're a student, you've done what you've done. That's great. Then you have the job ad, which is the employer saying, this is what we want to see. A couple of key selection criteria. We want you to have these skills. Then you have, and that's unchanging. Then you have the context on the company, which is on, say, their website and their social media. So a great way to use AI in this space is you go, okay, well, what if I make a resume? You make a draft resume. If you've never done one before, just Google how to make a resume, make a resume. Then you find the job ad, and then you go to the company website. And you can go to ChatGPT and go, what I'm about to do is I want you to be my resume buddy. I'm going to sh- copy and paste in my resume. Then I'm going to copy and paste in the job ad. Then I'm going to copy and paste in some context from this company's website. Like, dear robot overlords, do you understand? <laughs> and they'll, the robot will say, yes, I'm ready. How can I help? And then you do exactly that. Paste your resume, paste your, the job ad, paste the company. And then you say, now what I'd like you to do is print me out, or not print me out, create for me a one-page resume that's completely customized to this job. And... What used to be things that career advisors and resume people would sit down for hours and do with someone, ChatGPT can do in an instant. Now, if you're clever, what you then do is you go through it and make sure it hasn't made anything up. Uh, A little trick, by the way, a prompt is, please quantify or qualify my experiences. So basically put numbers on everything you've done. So instead of, for example, I've hosted the IDP podcast, it'd be like, I've hosted this many episodes of the podcast over this time duration, and we've had this many listeners. So you quantify or qualify it, and then you go back and forth. I treat like ChatGPT like it's my little buddy on a pillow, and it's like them and I working together. And so if you're applying for that job, you can now completely customize a resume way quicker with way more detail, which means you can apply for more jobs at a higher quality. So no longer are we in a world where you have to compromise quality and quantity. You can now apply for more jobs at a higher quality, which if you know this and what if you literally do what I said and just replay that, and practice it for half an hour, every resume you send out for the rest of your life is going to be better, but everyone's going to catch up. Right now, students have an advantage because this technology is relatively new. And if you ask students, if you were to do a poll of how many students have used AI to on their job applications in the last 30 days, it's going to be a low percentage. Eventually, it's going to be everybody. Just like at the start when we had computers, who's using computers to apply for jobs? Relatively low. Now we all use computers because of course you would. Who's using LinkedIn? Relatively low. Now we all do because of course you would. But if students are hearing this right now, they have an advantage because not everyone's doing it. And again, it's not making anything up. 
It's just being more clever and more insightful about how you present and sell your experiences. I absolutely cannot believe how many hidden gems you just spilled out for our students right now. The use of AI, how to land a job in Australia, how to merge those two things together. It is so clever and so important what you just said right now. Oh, my God. I'm just like loving this. <laughs> That's very um, kind of you. I, I love that. I love the fact that you also are so clearly mentioning how important it is for students to get on these new trends and new technology that comes out. Like you need to know how to use chat GPT. Yeah. Um, many students might think, oh, maybe I should just think about learning about new technology after I graduate. No, no. the time is now. Right now. <laughs> I love that. Um, how important, I know we were chatting about networking before. Yes. How important is networking in securing a job in Australia? I know you mentioned people's skills is so important. Yeah. And therefore networking would be such a massive part of it. How important do you think that is and what do you think students should do and what are your thoughts on this? I love it. Super important. So the old phrase that your net worth is your network, I think is very true that you get jobs not just from what you know, but who you know. So let's put some data to it. In Australia, there was a study done by LinkedIn in 2020 that said out of every five jobs, four of them are not advertised. So that means if I'm in a room with 100 international students, students in general, anyone looking for a job, 20 people statistically, roughly, will get a job they see with their eyeballs. So that's on Seek, that's on a Poster, that's on Career Hub and Campus, that's on Facebook, wherever. 80 out of 100 or four out of five people are getting a job through someone they know, through a relationship. We know this in the marketing world because the best form of, format of marketing is word of mouth. Exactly. The podcast you listen to, and maybe someone listening to this right now, sure you might've stumbled upon it, but more likely someone told you about it because there's so many podcasts out there, how do you pick? Mm -hmm. Will you wait for someone to tell you what to watch on Netflix or what the new burger shop is or so, what the best cafe is, you know? Mm -hmm. How I found my dear friend Nathan and my favorite cafe was through social proof and Google reviews. So it's a whole bunch of people going, this cafe is awesome. I'm like, I guess I'll try it out. And then I go there, I'm like, it is awesome. Now I tell everyone about it, you know? So in the same way, why does networking work? How does it work? Why is it essential for students? Four out of five jobs come through relationships. And where students get stuck sometimes is they say, well, I don't know anybody. And I was there too. When I left my first career in engineering, I went backpacking for two years, worked in 39 countries around the world and didn't know anybody. I started working in countries where I didn't speak the language. So I've, I've kind of been there. When I came back to Australia, I started fresh. I had a two-year gap in my resume and I got offered a job in Melbourne. Now, I never lived in Melbourne, so I was in a new city. I'd never worked for a nonprofit before, so I was in a whole new industry. I'd never worked in recruitment. I had no qualifications in that area. I talked my way into this job somehow, right? This is but awesome. <laughs> I started completely fresh and I didn't know anyone because I'd never been there before. So I moved to a new city with no qualifications, no experience, starting brand new in this new organization with a two-year gap in my resume. And the thing I realized really quickly was that if I wanted to achieve something or if I wanted to learn about something, I could either learn in one of two ways, through my own experience, which is slow and painful, or through the experience of others. So I started reaching out and networking and meeting people who were doing the things I wanted to do. So for students, how do you use that? Well, if you just if you just take that data point that four out of five jobs are coming through relationships, then, and you say, when I eventually get offered those jobs, what's gonna get me those jobs of communication and people skills? It's people, people, people all the way down. One view of that is that's not fair. It should be merit-based. I'm like, maybe if we we're all widgets and robots, I kind of think it's beautiful that the way our careers are gonna be spent is based on relationships. So I think the master skill for students is to say, how do you build relationships? How do you go out and meet people? 
So really practically, what does that look like? Go to Google right now, type in free events in, insert your degree. So if you're studying accounting, if you're studying data analytics, if you're studying whatever it is, free accounts in that field in this city. And in Australia, if you use Eventbrite, you can open up Eventbrite, free website, locate it to your city, filter the events for free, and a whole bunch of events will pop up that are networking events around your industry or your niche in your city. And so my rule would be go to all of them. It'll feel uncomfortable. It'll feel awkward. Even if you go to the first one, look in and go, uh-uh, I'm out of here <laughs> and leave. At least you went. Yeah. And then the next one, maybe you walk in the door. And then maybe the next one, you walk in the door and you sit down. And then maybe the next one, you walk in the door and sit down and stay till the end. And then maybe on your sixth networking event, you arrive, walk in the door, get your name tag, sit down, stay to the end, and then ask a question or then talk to somebody. So it doesn't have to be you go there and you start handing out business yeah. cards. It might take five or six events to feel comfortable. I always and still feel uncomfortable at networking events because it's this weird word and no one really knows what it yeah. means. Mm -hmm. I would say do it anyway. Go there, meet people. And instead of talking about yourself, just ask questions. Be the most interested person in the room. And when the panel, I love the rule of like, whenever they say or in class, say, does anyone have any questions? Just put your hand straight up in the air. <laughs> Figure out the question once they call on you, you know? I love that. They go, what's your top piece of advice for insert whatever the topic is, you know? Like just put the hand up in the air because I think there's a real there's a real mindset when you go from this mm -hmm. to this. Mm -hmm. Like it's a different physiology. Mm -hmm. And people look at you differently when you're sitting in the back row like this or when you're like this. Absolutely. And if I could, if there's one change I could have for international students to go from, I don't fit in, I don't know, I'm not good enough, no one's going to hire me, that self-talk that stops people to... I'm curious. I think I can't do it to I'm curious is the greatest shift of all. And I think that starts with people just putting their hand up and asking a question. Absolutely agree with you. That is so true. The fact that you mentioned mindset, mm. that is such a massive part of it. Um, much needed mind mindset shift when an international student comes here. Mm. Being open, being curious, so important. So hard to do anything without those qualities. Um, jumping right in about, you know, we've touched on LinkedIn. What are the most important elements of a strong LinkedIn profile? I know students come here, some of them have a profile, some of them don't. Every time I meet someone without one, I'm like, please make one. Please make one. Please make one. Yeah. I love what LinkedIn offers to people. And sometimes it, it gets confusing. I know you, it, it, it's a big world out there. You don't know. It's overwhelming to see so much content coming through on your newsfeed. Yeah. Um, what do you think students should have on their LinkedIn profile? What, what should that look like? I have so many thoughts on this and I love that you're asking this question. So first thing is why LinkedIn in the first place? It's the number one platform in Australia that recruiters use to find talent. So if I'm in a room with students, I'm like, put your hand up if you want to get a job. Everyone puts their hand up. Okay, great. What percentage of jobs come through relationships? Four out of five. We've covered that. Okay, great. What are the key skills that'll get you the job even if you get it through a relationship? Well, communication skills and networking skills, et cetera. Okay, great. Well, LinkedIn's the number one place that people go to develop that and also to find you. So it's where recruiters are actively looking for people. So the way a LinkedIn profile is set up, I teach LinkedIn in these five stages. Optimize your profile, connect with people, engage publicly and privately, like comment section or DMs, create content. We have 10 different sorts of content that we teach. And then the follow-up. Now, all of that, if you come to an IDP workshop that we do with yourselves and we do the LinkedIn workshops, people can come along and learn how that works um, or just follow and look at what we do and how we do it. But the most important thing is to answer your questions directly on a LinkedIn profile. When you click on someone's profile, 
the first couple of things you see are the cover photo, the profile photo, and the headline. Mm -hmm. LinkedIn knows what they're doing. LinkedIn was bought a couple of years ago by Microsoft. They're a half a trillion dollar company. They haven't accidentally set up your profile that way. The reason it's so visual at the front is that old idea that a picture's worth a thousand words. So I talk about LinkedIn profiles and how they're different to a resume as you're tying yourself to the mast of the ship. You're saying, this is who I am, what I want and what I believe in. And the biggest mistake people make on their LinkedIn's besides not having one is keeping it boring and vague and generic because they think that's going to open them up to more opportunities. And so if you've got a LinkedIn profile, you want the profile photo to be a big smiling face. So this is Australian workforce stuff, looking at the camera, smiling face, teeth showing, like that's what employers want. And the message that sends to an employer if they click on your page is, this person's professional and trustworthy, maybe friendly, at least professional and friendly, if not trustworthy. They're smiling, they're dressed the way that they would dress for work. Now, if you're working in health and fitness or tutoring high school kids or in a corporate office, you might dress slightly differently, but big smile, that's easy. The cover photo then at the top is something related to what you care about or what you do. So my dear friend, I'm going to go into my favorite cafe and share this with uh, Jeff Nathan. He's going to be so mad. I talked about him so much <laughs> on this podcast. But so I logged onto his profile this morning. I connected with him. He had a big smiling face on the air, had no cover photo. And I was like, give me a phone. I'm like, pour the next coffee. And I took his phone off him and I took a photo of him pouring a coffee. Because I'm like, what that shows you is you're a student studying commerce at the University of Melbourne slash you're a barista. And so he's pouring a coffee, he's opening the shop, managing the shop, making conversation. It's one of the highest rarest cafes in Melbourne, this little hole in the wall and tutoring on the side. I'm like, if you take the thousands of people with a commerce degree as a Venn diagram and then cross that over with people who have ownership, management, communication, customer service experience, you're all of a sudden in this niche. So imagine you apply for a job, you put your LinkedIn on your profile, on your resume and employer clicks on it. They open it up and it's just boring. It's generic. It's as blank as the walls. No offense to the walls. <laughs> Uh, but it's just a blank photo, doesn't say anything. Or you click on there as a smiling face, mm -hmm. there's a photo of someone pouring coffee and chatting to customers. And it's like, I'm your local barista slash commerce student at the University of Melbourne. It's like, we know you've got the technical skills from uni. You're at the University of Melbourne. You're at a great degree. Yeah. Like don't not come to Australia and not go to the unis. Like great unis, great degrees. That's great. But it's the minimum. Now you've got that plus communication skills, plus you're meeting people. Plus, you never know who's coming in and getting a coffee off you. Mm -hmm. Some of my best friends got jobs through university through their casual or part-time jobs at bars. And eventually, you talk to the locals and the regulars and they say, oh, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I'm studying this. Like, oh, my best friend, my college roommate, my wife, my husband. Wow. It's, it's those sort of intangible relationships. So on a LinkedIn profile photo, cover photo of you doing something, not alone in your bedroom mm -hmm. studying, you doing something. And then a headline that says what you're passionate about. Strap yourself to the mast of what you actually care about. If you are passionate about nonprofits helping the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and women rising into leadership, like put that on your profile. Don't be like, I'm a commerce student who's like looking for work. Like right. it's too generic. Say what you care about and then go after those jobs. And people who are looking for staff will see you and go, this person's perfect. And that my phrase for students on the profile is you want an employer to say, wow, this person's perfect. Like not perfect but perfect for us. Absolutely. This is who we're looking for. That is such a really, you know, it, it's amazing that you mentioned that. And I think that students have so much to take away. Most important things that they should update on their LinkedIn. Yep. I need to update my cover photo is what I'm getting from this. What's your cover photo? It is a, a picture of Melbourne. It's like, okay. yeah, it's like pretty generic, I feel. I feel like it could be better than that. <laughs> Which is great, right? So that locates you. So imagine you're applying for a job in Melbourne and an employer sees that. They go, oh, she's in Melbourne. It's like 
that's a little subtle nudge, which is great. But I mean, you're doing the podcast, you're doing all your work, events, et cetera. It's setting it up so that if someone lands there, they go, ah, this is a person right. with skills that has what we are, we're kind of mm-hmm. interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, whether it's internally within a company or an organization, whether it's for clients, whether it's for industry leaders, something that just positions you almost like your little piece of advertising that says like, here's who I am. Here's, here's who I am. Yeah, yeah. This is <laughs> who I am. This is who I am. You know? I love that. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that because... You know, students are so overwhelmed when it totally. comes to LinkedIn. I think that what I'm getting from this is update these bits and That's then, you there. know, start there. Start there. That's a good start to, you know, to definitely go on LinkedIn and do that. So I hope that they're following our advice and getting on LinkedIn. Um, are there any, you know, you've worked with international students so much. Are there any common challenges or misconceptions that students face during the job process? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say the biggest one is what I call the cycle of suffering. Most students have experienced this before. It's funny to say this in a room full of people because everyone giggles. You said this or someone you know said this. I can't get a job because I don't have experience. But I can't get experience because I don't have a job. But I can't get a job because I don't have experience. But I can't get experience because I don't have a job. And around and around we go. Three silver bullets for that. Volunteering, casual work, personal projects. So if you go to volunteer.com.au, and you type in any skill that you possibly want, there's going to be volunteering opportunities that pop up within Melbourne or online that you can do. So the first thing is, if you're not doing something either online or on campus or in the community, find a volunteering role to do that. Get that skill set. How do you do that? Find a job ad, go through the job ad and look for the skills they're asking for, copy and paste one of those skills into volunteer.com.au and see if you can find a job where you or a role where you develop that Mm -hmm. skill. Second one, casual job. So whether it's Christmas casuals, whether it's a local cafe, like I've been hammering on about, anywhere where you can speak to people, meet people, take on responsibility. One of the myths I get is like, but I don't know if my experience is relevant. What about what I've done back home? What about my casual work? Every single job helps you get your next job if you know how to sell it. Because every single job or every volunteering role is a chance to show your character. And I think character is above skills and academics. Mm -hmm. Because your character is... Forgive me because I showed up late today, but normally I try to say by this. I do what I say, not what I do. Character is, do you show up early? Do you prepare? Are you honest? Are you humble? Are you kind? Are you generous? Do you go above and beyond? Now, whether you're making Subway sandwiches or pouring coffees or working at Deloitte or anything else, you have chances to show those or not show those. So like in any job, if you do those things, you're a higher quality candidate in the future if you know how to present them. Sure, maybe you're pouring coffees or maybe you're making sandwiches or whatever you were doing. Mm -hmm. But if you're showing early and being kind and building relationships, you've got that experience under your belt. So true. So any job can help you get the next job. And the last one's personal projects. Like I was at uh, Griffith University this week with a group of PhD students talking about LinkedIn and personal branding. And they were studying things in the world and their LinkedIn profiles had words on there that I literally had no idea what they meant. Like I'm like, I don't have a clue what you guys study, but I don't need to. Because you've got the technical skills. I need to show you how to sell that. Peter Drucker once said that every business has two legs, marketing and innovation. Do you make good products and services and can you present them? This could be the best podcast in the world, but if it's not marketed well, no one benefits from it. Mm -hmm. And if it's marketed well, but it's a terrible podcast, everyone listens and goes, that's terrible, right? So the sweet spot is you've got a good product or service. It's marketed well. People then receive it and go, this is great. And they tell their friends. Mm -hmm. How does that help a student? These PhD students were sitting there and like, I don't know how to get my voice out there. I don't know how to meet people, et cetera. I had this one student come up to me at the end um, and his name is Victor and he's studying virology. 
And I'm just, I'm a sucker for alliteration. So I'm like, Victor, what you need to do is launch a podcast called Going Viral. I thought this was pretty clever. I'm going to myself, give myself some flowers <laughs> for this because I thought this was clever and I'm terrible at naming things. So go with me. Going Viral with Victor. I love this. So Going Viral with Victor is Victor's new podcast. So we get on LinkedIn. We search how many people have graduated from Griffith with virology, which is pretty niche, in their LinkedIn profile. There's 70 or something alumni. Like what you need to do is DM these 70 people with this message and say, hey, my name's Victor. I'm studying virology. I'm launching a podcast about like virology for Griffith grads. I'd love to interview you. We went onto Canva, typed in podcast template, dragged his photo in off LinkedIn and wrote going viral with Victor. Now you have podcast art. Then we went to ChatGPT and said, I'm launching a podcast about virology for Griffith students. Give me six or seven questions I can ask for a 20 minute audio podcast about virology and it spits them out. And you should see these questions. They're like bang on. It's like, so what was the biggest challenge you face as a student? Or like, there's lots of different majors within the health spectrum. How'd you choose virology? Or like, what's the biggest myth on the back of COVID about virology and viruses? These are all like ChatGPT has literally written the interview script. I'm like, all you need to do is DM that person, have them say yes, book them into a Zoom call, ask these questions, hit record, and not to simplify the podcast post process, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's kind of like, that's that's wow. that's the bits. Mm-hmm. And then hit publish. And I'm like, what that's going to get you, Victor, is he's going to be furious that I shared this, but this is the risk of coming to my workshops because I talk about <laughs> stuff and share everything. What that's going to do is that gives you an excuse to reach out to 70 professionals in your field. So even if no one ever listens to your podcast, it's a no-lose situation. You've built a relationship. If a couple of your peers listen to your podcast and it's evergreen, it lives on forever. For Griffith University, what an asset. It's alumni talking to alumni, sharing insights. Like, I promise you, you're going to win a student innovation award. You're going to be at a conference talking about how you've interviewed 50 professionals in the field. You know, it's like a no-lose situation, all coming through a personal project. So when students are looking for roles, whether it's volunteering, casual jobs, or launching their own podcast, or TikTok, or website, or blog, or fundraiser, whatever it is, go and do something to get the experience. Mm. Don't sit back and say, I need someone to give me permission to get experience because mm. that's not how it works anymore, exactly. not with the internet. Mm-hmm. I love that you mentioned that because it's one of the things that I tell students too is like, like I love how you said the minimum is graduating. Every, the minimum. Exactly. The minimum is graduating. What is amazing is your passion project. That's going to help you stand out. I, I, I think that it's all making sense. And I feel like students will benefit from this so much. I also want to ask you about crafting an impressive CV and cover mm-hmm. letter. And I know we talked about AI. How do you think students can do this better? What does that look like? It's a good question. So I think the first one would be one of it is like actually using those tools, getting on and getting them and scripting them. Second thing is utilizing the resources that are out there at your uni, like going to the career centers, going to the workshops. Some are amazing. Some have room for improvement. What going to career centers shows employers is that you've utilized all the low-hanging fruit. So the amount of times that you hear a student, a student will ask a question, and I'm like, literally Google what you just asked me, and it's going to show you how. Like someone's going to hear this and go, podcast, that sounds great. But they're going to go, how do I create a chat GPT account will be their question. If you Google it, it'll tell you. So like Google is your best friend. Like if you don't know how to Google things, you're in trouble, you know? Mm-hmm. I Google Maps how to get here today. Like, like we need to be able to use tools like that. So I think the first thing is, why did I tell you that with career centers? If you're a student who hasn't used your career centers, you haven't used the most accessible things for you. And if you go and apply for a job, 
and you haven't used those resources, what it shows an employer from a character strength is you're not looking outside of what's in your immediate sphere. You're not looking to improve. So have you ever heard the study that like people who use, and no offense to anyone who uses the default browser, but people who use like Google Chrome or Mozilla or one of those browsers are like X percent more productive and earn more money and all this stuff versus people who use Safari on Macs. And the reason why they earn more has nothing to do with Google Chrome. There's all these studies about this. Like they earn more money, they get promoted more, blah, 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 blah. People go, I need to download Google Chrome. It's got nothing to do with Google Chrome. It's the mindset of, I want to look for something better. I'm not going to accept the default. And so where you see, same thing with entrepreneurs, they go start their own business because they don't like any of the businesses that are out there. You know, they're going to do their own thing. And so they elevate. So the mindset is, if you're going to rise above the default, if you're going to go above the minimum, they're the sort of things that help you stand out. And that's what career centers and resumes can do. And if you go and you apply for a job and you've made one or two or three of the most basic resume errors, the reason we hear those stats that resume employers look at resumes for six seconds or whatever it is, the reason that's true is it's so easy to see someone who hasn't even done the minimum. They've got typos. They've got four columns and colors. They put their photo on there. They've just made one of the 10 easiest mistakes. And sometimes students will spend, and I need international students to hear this, They'll spend $100,000 on a degree, but they won't spend 15 minutes going and seeing the career center. And then their resume is how they sell their product, which is $100,000. So you've spent $100,000 making yourself valuable. You've made yourself the product and your marketing is your resume. Businesses have two legs, marketing and innovation. If your marketing is filled with the most easy to spot errors, when you go and put that in front of an employer, the employer goes, look, your degree is the minimum, but you're like, you haven't even gone and seen your career center to fix these things. I don't want to have to teach you. It's like at some point in dating or life or relationships, like if you're in a relationship with someone, if you've been in and out of relationships for a few years and had a few lessons and learned a little bit about yourself, if you go and date someone who's never, ever been in a relationship before, it's like, I'm starting from scratch, you know, like it's it's the bare minimum again. Oh my God. And so with that stuff, what it does for students is, because I don't want to confuse anyone, if you go and you use those career resources, they're going to be helpful in some ways. You, I mean, you could go to YouTube or podcast or whatever, but what it shows employers is you use the resources that are available to you. And if you haven't done the minimum in the career space, you haven't Googled it, you haven't used ChatGPT, you haven't gone to your career center, when you apply for a job, a recruiter's like, no, 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 no. Because if you haven't done that, what else haven't you done? I love this because students do need to hear this. Yeah, It is so important to work on your resume and spend that extra 15 minutes going to a career center, getting that information from other people, having 15 other people look at your resume and yeah. what that looks like, getting feedback. Yep. So important to implement it. So important to chat with other people, see what they think, see what experts think about it and and definitely, you know, improve. And I, I, I think I've like worked on my resume like 50 billion times, yeah. I, I feel. And it's still evolving. It's ever evolving. So students shouldn't have to think about okay, this is this looks perfect now. No. Yeah. And it doesn't stop when you get a job. So one of my friends was so, uh, ran an event in Canberra uh, two weeks ago and it was with a whole bunch of like managing, he's in the accounting field. So a bunch of managing directors from accounting firms um, doing what we're preaching. And one of the managing firm, one of the managing directors there was from EY, big global consulting and accounting firm. This week in EY, globally, everyone internally updates their resume. Why would they do that? Because as an employer, if you've got employees and you're in services, you're selling your staff to clients. So every year they get their staff to reflect on what they've done and what they've achieved. 
update their internal resume. So when they go and sell you to a client, they go, well, here's what she, he, they can do. So it's a skill set that never stops. And it's, I think students have this myth of like, oh, if I just get the right resume, then I'll get a job. It's like, you should be learning constantly. So how do students do this? Every single month, pick a day, put 30 minutes to an hour in your calendar, just one hour a month, make it a reoccurring calendar invite. And every day, at least once a month, jump in and update your resume. And there's only two things that are going to happen. Say you do it today and then you do it a month from now. You're going to arrive a month from now. You're going to get to that calendar slot and you're going to say, I've done absolutely nothing in the last 30 days that I can add to my resume. In which case, amazing, you've realized that after one month. It's like, oh, geez, next month I should change something. If I've done nothing to move my career forward in a month, I need to do something. Or you're going to look back in 30 days and you go, oh yeah, I did do that online course. I did start my podcast. I did go to that networking event. And so then you jump onto your resume and you add those things. And I think of it like backpacking, my two years traveling. At some point backpacking, you want to buy a cool t-shirt from some country. You've only got a backpack. So at one point, it's one in, one out. If you want that shirt, one shirt's got to go. You know, you've only got so much space. And a resume is like a backpack. It's only got that one page of space, especially in Australia. Good hint, one page resume. So because you've only got that space, what once you fill it with like the basics, and anyone can fill it, a normal resume, just what did you do in high school, if nothing else, then it becomes one in, one out. So if there's something on your resume that's a bit old or a bit dated or not so impressive or a skill you see on a job ad, you're like, oh, I don't really have a good example of teamwork. Like, oh, maybe I played on a sports team when I was a kid, but I haven't really been on a team in the last year. You go, I need to get on a team. Volunteering, casual work, personal project. Okay, you go and do that. And then you put that on the resume. And then six months from now, you go, okay, I'm on a team, but what have I achieved? And so you go, okay, I was on a team and we worked towards this goal of this and we had this impact. Mm -hmm. So it's like a constant process of one in, one out on the resume on a 30-day basis of just making it better and better and better. And it's this old principle in self-development called the David principle. So the idea is statue of David. How do you build the statue of David? You get a big piece of marble and you hack away everything that doesn't look like David. And what you're left with is this beautiful statue of David. The principle is like, you don't need to intentionally add need to hack away the things that don't work, be doing things in the background such that what you're left with is the best version of yourself. And that is what you can present to an employer. I love that, Josh. I think cool. students have so much to take away from that. I know we've covered landing a, you know, a job in Australia, um, using LinkedIn as a tool, what your CV should look like. Uh, we've covered a bit about AI and how you can use that. Um, I think we're wrapping up now. And I think that students have so much to take away from this episode, but if there was this one piece of advice, like one takeaway that you wanted students to take away from this episode, what would that be? Alexis and I had a conversation yesterday and at the end of it, we were talking about the importance of being a doer. So I have these four leadership styles that I teach about being a connector, building relationships, a dreamer, setting goals, a planner, actually making to-do lists and time management, kind of what we said, strategies, and then being a doer. Nike built a multi-billion dollar brand off a three-word slogan, just do it. Nike's philosophy is if you've got a body, you're an athlete. It's an identity brand. And so with students in Australia, students in general, I think you've got to be a doer. You, and you've got to learn to do it when you're uncomfortable. You've got to learn to do it when you're not sure. Jeff Bezos has a 70% principle where he says, as soon as I've got 70% of the information I need, I make a decision. It's like, if I wait till I have 100% of the information, I'm never going to decide anything. So it's like, be a doer when you've got 70%. If you've got one friend who's keen, if you kind of maybe think about reading a book, just buy the book. You kind of feel like you should go to the yoga class. It's like, just go to the yoga class. So it's saying yes, it's putting your hand up. It's just taking action. 
but not blindly and burning out intelligently. What does that look like? It's you say yes to enough things in a week and then on a weekly basis, you sit back and reflect and go, okay, what are my 10 yeses that I said this week? Rule of 10. What are the 10 things I said yes to this week? Now, if you get to the end of the week, you're like, I haven't said yes to anything. It's like, awesome. Next week, say yes a bit more. What are my 10 yeses that I said yes to this week? Okay, which are the ones I'm glad I said yes to? And which are the ones I kind of wish I didn't? And we both got things that you've said yes to in life that you're like, I shouldn't have said yes to that. Like, I call it screwing over future Josh. Like, past Josh screwed over present Josh, you know? <laughs> Not right now, don't get me wrong. Like, this is great. I'm glad past Josh said yes, and I'm stoked about that, right? So this is a great example. This would be a yes, yes. But a yes, yes is something that you've said yes to, and you're glad you said yes to it. You're like, I felt nervous. I wasn't sure about that yoga class or that job interview or setting up my LinkedIn profile or listening to this podcast episode. But then you do it, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that was amazing. And sometimes you have to listen to a podcast episode until the last three minutes and the guest is like, oh, just this one other thing. And you're like, why'd you say that at the end, you know? Or sometimes you read a book and it's the last chapter that's right. the best. Or sometimes you have a friend and you've known them for five years and then that one time you need them, it's there. But you sure are glad you said yes to being a friend with someone five years ago when you really need them on a dark, cold and rainy day. When you're stuck at the bottom of the hole and you need a ladder out, you're really glad you have that friend. So I think for students, it's be a doer. Say yes, but do it intelligently. At the end of the week, sit back and say, are there things I said yes to that I kind of regret? You go, I said yes to that, but I did it out of guilt. I'm just not going to say yes to that in the future. That's okay. But if I said yes to things that I'm glad I said yes to, it's like, I'm going to say yes to that again. Or if I see another opportunity that looks similar to that, I'm going to say yes to that again. And it's, if you see a great series on Netflix and they bring out a second series, you're like, I said yes to that the first time. I'm going to say yes again, you know? Yeah. I went to my favorite cafe and the coffee was amazing. I'm going to go there again. Mm -hmm. So we've already, you've already got this behavior. Mm -hmm. It's a pattern of behavior that every listener already has. I'm just saying apply it to your career. And if you do that, you'll go, oh, this is, this is working. It's like, just give it time. Be patient. Be a doer, but be patient with it. Absolutely. Be a doer. Be a doer. I love that, Josh. I think students have so much to take away. And I thank you once again for being on this podcast because I know that students both that are coming to Australia and are currently studying here, students that have graduated are going to find this episode so helpful. So thank you once again. Thanks for having me. Amazing. Thanks for listening to IDP Real Talk. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify so you don't miss another episode. See you next time.